the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And once again, it's time to wish everybody a Merry Podmas as we dive into the second of our Christmas selection box. And what a movie we have for you this week. We have the Hallmark production, A Boyfriend for Christmas. The second of our Merry Podmas selection sees us in Hallmark territory once again. And this time's Hallmark movie is 2004's A Boyfriend for Christmas, starring Kelly Williams and Patrick Muldoon and directed by Kevin Connor, who I first knew about when I saw the 1980 horror movie Motel Hell, which is a bit of a leap to this one. However, after his horror start in life, Kevin Connor went to be a prolific TV director, of which this Hallmark movie is one. Well, judging by his past career and this movie, I have to say, I think I'm a little bit of a fan of his work. So we will get into that. And we're not just doing Christmas Hallmark for you in this episode. We are doing vintage Christmas Hallmark because we are taking you back to the early 2000s for this Crimbo Cracker. So shall we get on with it and let you know what A Boyfriend for Christmas is about? In all fairness, though, it literally does what it says on the tin. It's all in the title. Without further ado, I'm going to read a synopsis from IMDb by Hugh He. Holly stopped believing in Santa Claus after her wish to meet the man of her dreams never came true. So Santa sets her up with Ryan, who isn't entirely truthful about himself. Now Holly faces a dilemma. Marry her current boyfriend, Ted, or fall in love with someone who has lied to her. Now, technically, Ted isn't exactly her boyfriend in the timeline of the movie, so that's just a little discrepancy with that synopsis there. He is her ex-boyfriend. The movie begins in a mall with some teenage girls, and there's a very convincing-looking Santa Claus, not Richard Attenborough this time, the girls approach this guy who has a little sister who's nervous to meet Santa Claus and the way this Santa behaves, I don't actually blame her, but we'll get into that. And Holly kindly takes this little girl to meet Santa. Her brother's really pleased about it. Then Holly proceeds to have this quite unsettling conversation with Santa Claus. I mean, I just don't think it's appropriate for Santa to be having a conversation with a teenage girl, asking her if she thinks she's ready to have a boyfriend. There was some very icky vibes going on at the beginning of this film. And at this point, I was thinking, what are we actually letting ourselves in for with this? But I am pleased to say, if you take Santa out of the equation, it's not too bad. Yeah, that's true. The Santa in this movie 
Again, it's strongly hinted that Santa in this movie is the actual Santa Claus. He takes a different tack to Richard Attenborough. There's not much giggling from this Santa. He's a much more dour and downbeat Santa, this one, played by Charles Durning, who is in one of my favourite horror films of all time. He's brilliant as the bad guy in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. So if you haven't seen Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, it's an amazing TV horror movie. And he is just the most awful person in that movie. He's one of the best horror bad guys going. In this one, he's toned the act down a bit, but he's still got a bit of an edge to him. And one of the odd things about Charles Durning's performance in this is that he seems to be distracted by something off camera all the time. Either that or he's just bored of listening to people. People will tell him something and he's kind of going, oh yeah, okay, right, I get that. Maybe I have to do something about that. I need to sort out Holly's love life. But at the same time, it's almost like somebody's waving at him off set. There's something distracting him from his performance. And it's quite a weird thing. But overall, considering we've watched some absolute shit that has had the Hallmark or Hallmark-esque name attached to it, this is by far one of the better ones. Partly because it's got people who can actually act in it and partly because it sticks to the formula but it does have its own wrinkles to it and it does focus on the relationship a bit more than your normal Hallmark movie would. You normally have the main leads kind of fluttering around each other but not really getting together whereas a huge chunk of this movie is actually the relationship between Holly and Ryan. Or is it Ryan? It's Doug. Because Ryan is a lawyer who fucks up royally because he doesn't get to a custody hearing on time. I have no idea how he is late. He is a very poor timekeeper. Anyway, Holly is waiting for him to turn up at this courtroom so that a mother can get custody of her kids over Christmas. He doesn't make it in time. She doesn't get custody from the judge. Not at that point anyway. But again, very much like Miracle on 34th Street, we have got a Santa who may or may not be the actual Santa. We've got a lawyer who isn't one of the bastard lawyers that you see in these movies. He's probably the nicest lawyer in the town. Probably the only nice lawyer in the town because his colleagues turn out to be arseholes. Surprise, surprise. We have got another woman who is not into Christmas either. Holly has decided that Christmas is not for her. Shades of Elizabeth Perkins in Miracle on 34th Street, anybody? It's slightly depressing for about 30 seconds, this movie. It does take a slightly downbeat turn a little bit of the way through. But then all of a sudden somebody realises, like, hang on a minute, this is a Hallmark movie. We've been depressing for 30 seconds. Let's have a lot of Christmas jollity and bring things back on track. Yes. There's all the hallmark tropes you know and love. There's the dickhead boyfriend. There's mention of dead parents. There's ridiculous contrivances. There's a plot that could have been solved 25 minutes in if somebody had just told the truth. And yet, this isn't bad at all. It's quite entertaining. And I wasn't checking my watch. There's a few of these hallmark movies where after about 35 minutes, I'm looking at my watch and thinking, Jesus, like there's an hour of this still to go. Whereas with this one, I was quite happy to let it wash over me. I had quite a lot of fun. There's some decent lines in along the way. And to be honest, 
there's far worse things you could do with your time than watch your boyfriend for Christmas. And I can't actually believe I'm saying that. Yeah, I realised I'd got in quite deep into the movie and I thought, I'm actually quite enjoying this. It's a lot more watchable than most of them. I don't think it goes as over the top as some of them that we've covered. We don't have too many of these like quirky townsfolk or any of that nonsense in this one as much. The only thing is, it's not perfect by any means, and there are some moments where you have to suspend your disbelief. For example, the movie begins in the past, and we're meant to have somewhat of a 20-year a time jump almost. I'm not sure if it's 20, 20 years into the future, or if it's meant to be like when she turns 20, but the main girl is not 20 as she ages, so it must be 20 years. But it feels like the whole movie is set in the same time period. It's like early 2000s. It was like, yep, yeah, that was me as a teenager in the early 2000s. I remember wearing those kind of clothes and that was the vibe. And then it still feels like the early 2000s. We don't feel like we've progressed 20 years into the future, which if it was 2004 at the beginning, we'd be looking at 2024 as the main plot setting. And it's definitely not like that. Nobody's on social media. Nobody's really checking their phones there's no real tech talk in it or anything like that and then my other question about this my interpretation of santa i swear there's a line in it where they refer to him he's the guy who plays santa at the mall or at the tree farm or whatever so he's not technically the real santa but why is he basically able to make miracles happen as if he was the real santa it's it's a very very odd he doesn't feature too heavily in this, which is quite nice because I think I might have lost the will to live if we had too much Santa screen time. But I think I bought into the romance a little bit more in this. I felt, oh my God, I'm actually rooting for the characters. I thought the protagonist was quite likeable. I mean, there's still that whole trope in this where you've got people who can't accept a single career-minded woman. It's like you have to settle down with a man or basically you failed at life. There's this kind of urgency to like, come on now, you need to find somebody getting on in age. There's that type of trope going on in it, but I quite like how sassy Holly is about it. She's got some quips, some comebacks, and it felt quite organic. It didn't feel like, oh, she's really desperate for a boyfriend. It just sort of all happens, and it's quite in a, it's a very unconventional way. But I found it quite enjoyable, even though it's ridiculous. So the whole scenario where she thinks that somebody has sent this guy as like a rent-boyfriend for Christmas type deal. And then he has a bit of a Mrs. Doubtfire moment where he's got to cover his tracks and say what his name is. And he picks Douglas Firwood because it says Douglas Fir on the Christmas tree, on the make of the Christmas tree. And then... What's quite fun is because her family are so set on, oh, you need to get back together with Ted because otherwise your life is over if you don't settle down and have children. But it's quite fun how she then brings this guy into the family fold as a bit of revenge at the beginning to almost be like, yeah, I found somebody and what are you going to say now? But the family then embrace Doug slash Ryan into the family. So, yeah, I don't know. I really did enjoy this movie and I don't know what's going on with me because normally I'm like as Darren said clock watching because Hallmark is so derivative but maybe because this is an earlier Hallmark movie it's a little bit more palatable I don't know 
but it just didn't seem to, as I said, have all these contrivances. Some of the more recent ones do, like they're, they're trying to go big and bold. This is quite a simple story. And I think in some ways it has a little bit of the while you were sleeping essence in it as well. Like I think that whole fake scenario in a family taking somebody in that isn't really dating the protagonist, that type of scenario. So, yeah, this is not actually too terrible, surprisingly. So if you're going to watch a Hallmark movie for Christmas, a Christmas-themed one, I would honestly recommend this. Yeah, bit of a shock. HD Movie Podcast <laughs> recommends Hallmark movie. And we're not kidding about this one, actually, because it's pretty decent and it's fun. And as I said before, it's got people who can actually act as well and you can root for them. There's some quite decent comic performances in this as well. And it's nice to see that it's focusing on how the relationship develops and how he interacts with Holly's family rather than have a load of plot contrivances which keep them apart for most of the movie and have them hating each other for a third of the movie, and then have them loving each other for a third of the movie, and then having them hating each other again for a third of the movie. It's not like that. It does go some slightly different places. It's not as formulaic as Hallmark movies got further down the track. It's got some expected lines, because Doug Stroke Ryan turns up at Holly's, and she's not really quite sure what his motives are. He just shows up with this tree. And she says something along the lines of, are you some sort of serial killer? And it's that kind of romantic comedy. And you're right, there is a very much a, an while you were sleeping element to this movie. It's got that sort of feel about it. It doesn't quite go the same way as while you were sleeping does, but it does have some of the elements that made that quite successful as well. And it's harmless this movie it's fun it's enjoyable it's absolutely harmless there's nothing particularly offensive about it you know where it's going from the start but that's not really why you should be watching this movie the fact is there's very little jeopardy in it from the opening bit it's clear that ted is a complete bellend and that holly will not end up with ted because from the start ted turns back up and holly dismisses him pretty much out of hand she knows he's an idiot. They broke up a couple of years beforehand. She makes it absolutely clear that she is not getting back together with Ted, regardless of what he does. And yes, he turns up with wedding rings and stuff and he's trying to get back into her good graces. But it's meant to be doomed to failure. You know that she's not really going to get back with Ted. Yes, they throw a few curveballs in to try and make it as though the relationship between Holly and Ryan is in jeopardy. But there's never really any doubt how it's going to finish up. Even the big dramatic moment at the end, where it looks like the relationship is going to come crashing down, is resolved in about 10 seconds by somebody saying, pull yourself together almost. It's like, you know, it's not the end of the world. The dad is kind of like, this guy wasn't quite honest, but he's a good guy. And basically, if you're looking for that kind of third act jeopardy you're not going to get it in this movie it's very short the third act jeopardy it's kind of like oh maybe they're not going to get together and then 10 seconds later it's like yeah they are though aren't they and ted is left out in the cold but you don't care because the two protagonists are actually quite likable in this there are some hallmark movies where you just 
see the two protagonists and you just think, I really don't give a shit about either of these people. I don't care whether they end up together or not. Whereas in this, you have got two people where you think, you know what, they are pretty good together. I'm having quite a fun time watching them interact on screen. There's some fun back and forth. Yes, there are some corny lines about the fact that he has to be with her before midnight on New Year's Eve. Does he really have to be? Is that sort of a time limit? It doesn't feel like that's part of the deal. And that as soon as New Year's Eve is over, then they will just forget each other. That's not going to really work. Yet Santa is saying, oh, you know, you've got to be with each other by the time the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve. And that was the one point of the movie that I was really thinking, but why? They've known each other for like days now. So as soon as it comes to New Year's Day, they're suddenly going to go, oh, no, it's off now. We've had the time limit on this. Doesn't matter. And I don't care how much Christmas magic Santa is trying to throw over the proceedings here. I don't think it particularly matters. You know, it gets to 11.59 and they're not together. And then clock strikes midnight, 12.01. Ollie's like, oh, no, no, this guy's an absolute dick now. I'm just not interested in it. Don't see how that's going to happen. But there's weird things about extending the warranty on a boyfriend and stuff. There's lots and lots of corny lines in this movie. And if you're looking to pick holes in this movie, there's lots of places to pick holes. But at the same time, it isn't an Oscar-nominated movie. It isn't an art house piece. You don't need to take huge depths of meaning from every single movie. You're not going to take huge depths of meaning from this. It's not that sort of movie, and it doesn't even try to be. The one thing I thought was a bit weird at the very end, because Ryan is trying to develop a building for low-rent housing, and this is a subplot, which isn't really dealt with in any great detail. But right at the end, he quits because... The law firm does the dirty on him and say, actually, we're not going to be developing it as low-rent housing. We're developing it as an office complex. At which point, Ryan says, right, fuck you a lot. Well, he doesn't doesn't say fuck you a lot because it's a Hallmark movie. He says, right, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm out. And that's all very laudable. But at the end, you've got a bunch of people who are getting turfed out of this building. So they're not going to be tenants of this building anymore. There's going to be a bloody office complex. And I thought at the end that somebody would say, actually, we're going to hire you to try and fight this and try and get it for low-rent housing, not offices. That doesn't happen. So, yes, you have a happy ending for Holly and Ryan, but you've got a load of people who are getting turfed out of a building down the street, which they just seem to ignore at the end. It's like, ah, yeah, but we're together. What about the people in the building? Ah, doesn't matter. Yeah, and one of the weird moments I had with this film is why were they decorating on Christmas Day? Now, he brings the tree Christmas morning and then they go for family dinner at the parents' house, come back, and then they carry on decorating for Christmas. I think that ship has sailed. I think they've missed the boat there. It's a very, very odd decision. And another thing I found quite bizarre is why is Santa still hanging about after Christmas? Why is he there around New Year? I mean, that's a first. So obviously you can't really apply logic to this movie, but I think these little charming factors about it just add to the entertainment value. I have to talk about the opening song for this movie, 
I don't know if it's actually called this, but the lyrics are Santa, bring a boyfriend for me. I'm not going to sing it because I cannot sing. And I feel like you can just look it up on YouTube. But there was a comment on YouTube on the film itself that I just think sums this up perfectly about this opening song. To quote, the opening number sounds like the producers got together all knowing they wanted that Mariah Carey song, but knowing they couldn't afford the copyright and did everything they could to get as close to that song as possible without actually being that song. I love it. It's like those mockbusters by the asylum. And that is how you sum up the opening song. It feels like a familiar Christmas song. It's definitely got those Mariah vibes to it, but it is definitely low rent Mariah. And the lyrics are cheesy as hell. And you just think, yeah, someone's just slapped this on this film. And you're thinking, how cheesy are they willing to push this? But the movie isn't really in that tone. Because I think if it was in the tone of that song for all of it, it would actually be pretty terrible. Yeah, it would have grated. And definitely, as soon as I heard that song, I just thought, Mariah Carey's going to phone up and say, I want my song back. (laughs) You know, it's a peppy Christmas song. You're right, the lyrics are absolutely terrible. But there's no doubt which song they're trying to ape, right down to the the tone and the instrumentation. And the tune is very, very, very close without actually... Well, I, I was going to say without actually ripping it off. I think it kind of rips it off. Because it's kind of like... Santa, bring a boyfriend for me, and that's all out of Christmas. Yeah, I thought I wasn't going to sing, and now you can see why. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it does go down that route. (laughs) I think in a movie of fairly safe decisions, that's probably quite a risky one, because, hey, copyright's going to come calling, maybe. But I don't think there's been any multi-million dollar lawsuits directed at A Boyfriend for Christmas from Mariah Carey. I think Mariah probably makes far too much money from the song anyway over Christmas to be bothered about a 2004 Hallmark movie. It doesn't have the quirky best friend either. It's got a best friend, but the best friend isn't particularly quirky. She's a nice best friend, but they don't really focus much of the plot on her. There's a bit at the end where she turns up to a party and says that her husband's got flu, which is carte blanche for her to go out and get hammered. Absolutely fine. Also, that does mean that because her husband isn't in the picture, they don't have to employ another actor to play the best friend's husband. So it cuts down on the casting. Yeah, a lot of the things that you would expect, certainly with latter-day Hallmark movies, like all these odd traits that the best friend has got, are absent from this movie. The best friend is somebody that just is reliable to the main character and doesn't do an awful lot other than occasionally show up for a wander around with her to check in on how she's doing with Doug stroke Ryan. And that's it, really. Whereas later Hallmark movies, you've got these really weird best friends who've got odd interests and have strange businesses and then stick their noses in. This doesn't happen here. They are very much focused on the two main characters, which is quite refreshing, really. So it's basically Holly and Doug Stroke Ryan and everybody else in their orbit. So it works better than a lot of other Hallmark movies because there's more focus on the actual main plot 
rather than a lot of faffing around. And you don't get this subplot about business. The business stuff is kept to a minimum. Holly works for a non-profit organisation, but they don't go into anything about that. There's no business to save. There's no race against time to have somebody come in and rescue the organisation. That isn't the focus of this movie. And thank God, because all the business stuff in Hallmark movies is generally quite tedious and full of jargon that doesn't make any sense at all. Now, at least we haven't done a Hallmark movie that delves into the world of IT, because that really, really does grip my shit when they get IT stuff wrong. There was a movie that I watched with Dr. Lauren McIntyre, who has been a guest on this podcast, and it's called Deadly Infidelity. And some of the plot is to do with an IT application. And I spent most of the movie because we watched it in two separate places, but kept texting each other. And Lauren was just bombarded with text about me saying, this IT stuff is driving me fucking insane. It's all wrong. At least they don't have any of that in this movie. We focused on Christmassy stuff and we focused on romance. Two things that, I, again, I never thought that I would be saying that I was pleased that there was a focus on Christmassy stuff and romance. But in this case, I am. What's wrong with me? Can we do some horror, please? And it doesn't have any of those really quirky sequences where they're going to bake some Christmas cookies or create some decorations or all that crap that's just thrown in for filler. This is just to the point. I think this is why we got on with it so well, because, yes, it's ridiculous in a lot of places and it has questionable logic moments, but it is entertaining enough it holds your attention and it doesn't drag as much as some of the others either even the conflict in it is more or less played for laughs I mean I had to note down this line because it really did crack me up it's when both Ted and Ryan are heading to the family home for I think three new year's dinner something like that and they're having a bit of a dick swinging competition and Ted says the line I have Holly's family on my side they love me (laughs) <laughs> this is when he says that line it's like the most childish thing ever like they're both trying to fight for this woman's heart and ted is absolutely slimy and really quite repulsive but not in a mean-spirited sort of way he's just really annoying and you just do not root for ted to get with holly because it's all about ryan because he's not a bad guy and i think this is the first like hallmark guy i've thought Hmm, he's not too bad. Yeah, I think Patrick Muldoon has got a lot of charisma and I think that carries him through. Also, the fact that Holly doesn't take any of this chest-puffing man-v-man shit either because there's a sequence at which they're playing American football. There's a kind of a family football game, but Ted and Doug Stroke Ryan use it as an excuse to basically fight each other And it just gets more and more ridiculous and they're sort of rolling around on the floor trying to hit each other. And at the end, Holly just says something along the lines of, that was one sorry display of testosterone. Holly knows her own mind and she doesn't want guys fighting over her. She's more of a sassy Hallmark heroine than you would normally get. It's one of the elements that makes this movie a lot more enjoyable because the heroine doesn't really have to have a guy. She comes to the understanding that, yes, she did ask Santa for a boyfriend all those years ago, but there's part of her which kind of thinks, well, if it doesn't work out, 
I'm going to be all right, which you don't always get in all white movies. You do get the family saying, as you said, if you don't end up married with kids, then you've failed at life in some way. But you do get other people in the family, like a dad saying, you know, basically it doesn't matter really, you know, as long as you're happy. So you've got some subverting of the tropes there already, which makes it a lot more enjoyable because in a series of movies that don't really base themselves on reality much, at least there's some sort of reality check where it's kind of winking at itself because it's saying we present all these movies, it's like ideal relationship, woman ends up with a man of her dreams. But also this movie is saying if it doesn't actually happen at the end, doesn't matter, she's going to be alright. It does happen at the end, surprise, surprise, spoiler alert, it isn't much of a spoiler. We know they're going to get together, regardless of what's going to happen between the start and finish. But at least this has got something a little bit different about it. And I think you might be right in that it's an earlier Hallmark movie where they weren't driven by this particular playbook or template. And I think Hallmark movies, for us at least, would be better if they junked some of the tropes because we're getting to the point now, I think, you can see them coming a mile off and you're waiting for all these tropes to take place. And you've got the terrible business decisions and you've got the idiot best friend and you've got the ridiculous third act twist which throws them apart. This doesn't really stick to any of that and that might be the reason that I actually had more of a good time with it because I wasn't ticking boxes all the time. It's like, oh God, this one, yeah, they've done this, they've done this, oh God, they've done this as well. This kind of has its own style, which is weird to say for a Hallmark movie because I know that they pride themselves on being the same sort of movie with a slightly different setting and slightly different characters. But this one actually stands out. Yeah, surprisingly. And as I said, this is probably the best Christmas Hallmark or slash Hallmark-esque film we have covered on this podcast, if not the best Hallmark film period so far, based on the crap that we have put ourselves through. And even though there are entertaining moments across the board in all of them where we're just having to laugh at it, otherwise we'll cry, this one, it just is very enjoyable, very watchable, entertaining, if you just want something where you're going to switch your brain off and if you're feeling a bit festive and a bit romantic, it's the one. It is. A Boyfriend for Christmas is the one. And I didn't expect to be saying this. So Kevin Connor has directed a few more Christmas Hallmark films. Prior to A Boyfriend for Christmas, he directed Santa Junior. Following A Boyfriend for Christmas, he directed the following. Farewell, Mr. Kringle. Annie Claus is coming to town and another Christmas kiss. I have no idea if these are the same level as a boyfriend for Christmas, but I would be curious to find out if we're thinking for next year. And maybe the way to go for us is to pick more vintage Hallmark and not go for these modern versions and also the rip-offs as well, because I think Love Bubbles and Crystal Cove, that just tipped us over the edge. What a waste of time. What a waste of film. It had no soul to it. And this one has a soul. And I think even if it's got a weird, creepy Santa, there's just something about this one. So on IMDb, it has a respectable 6.4 out of 10. And I think that is a very fair score. It's not rated by critics at all on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has a 70% audience score. And I think when this aired on Hallmark, it did pretty well. 
in 2004 it was the first of the christmas selection obviously everyone was wanting to get into the christmas mood would probably have switched it on check out what Walmart were offering that year i think it was actually quite popular based on what i've read so that's quite interesting and a lot to do with it is the central heroine she is an ambitious woman she has romantic complications but i think it's because she's more self-aware and sassy and she doesn't take any nonsense off anybody and she knows her own mind i think that is why this film is above the rest of the hallmark shit we've covered absolutely yeah and i would actually go out of my way to recommend this movie that's how much i enjoyed it i cannot believe i am saying this if somebody said i want something sweet and quite romantic and christmasy i would actually say you know what boyfriend for christmas that isn't bad at all and it doesn't have annoying kids in it it's got kids in it sure but they are not annoying they are not part of the main plot they're just there to add a little bit of family flavor to the proceedings you don't get some precocious little sod laying down the law to the main character you just get some kids who quite like doug stroke ryan because they think he's a firefighter he isn't a firefighter that's one of the many ruses that are put to the family to keep the illusion going yeah i'm gonna say it i had a really good time with this movie and i didn't think i would looking at the title and looking at the pedigree and looking at all the hallmark christmasy stuff that's out there i went in thoroughly expecting to be ranting about this point in the podcast episode and i'm not it's fine in fact it's not just fine i'd even go so far as to say it's good yeah fair point and i enjoyed this a lot more than our previous episode miracle on 34th street so if a hallmark has got us over a hollywood studio big budget movie that's a quite an unexpected turn we could almost call it a christmas miracle but we're not softening up yet as we go through this podcast journey there's going to be plenty more hallmark or of a similar ilk to come and i think this has set the bar now nothing else will ever surpass this movie i don't think i do wish we could chat longer and that's it for episode 118 of the hd movie podcast as always thank you for listening and if you enjoyed this episode and would like to keep up to date with all our content you can follow us on social media we're on facebook x and instagram at hd movie podcast merry podmas continues next time with another Christmassy themed movie. We're going back to the mid 80s for a movie that has a lot of nostalgia for me. It is 1984's Night of the Comet. This is a first time viewing for me, so I will give you my full thoughts on this once we have got this watched. Will it be a case of the boogeyman all over again? Will I be telling Darren that his taste in movies sucks? Tuning to find out. Until then. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbeat.